0: Welcome to episode number 20 of Talking Mopars and another edition of High Performance Heritage, the special editions of this show where we shine the spotlight on a topic that has had a significant impact on the world of Mopar. On this installment, we will be taking a look back at the 1968 introduction of Dodge's scat pack. We'll be taking a look at the cars and the engines that made the scat pack run, which caused a whole generation of muscle car enthusiasts to catch the bug. And no, I'm not talking about COVID-19, I'm talking about Dodge Fever. We're also talking Project Car of the Week, high-performance parts, and listener stories. So without further ado, if you are a Mopar enthusiast, then you are in the right place. Don't go anywhere. You're tuned in to the best Mopar enthusiast-driven podcast on planet Earth. And I am your host, Chris Albrecht, better known as the Mopar Hunter, and this is Talking Mopars. <laughs> You're listening to Talking Mopars with the Mopar Hunter, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Welcome to Talking Mopars High Performance Heritage. Man, the world is crazy right now, folks. And if you're like me, then you're probably sick of hearing about the worldwide coronavirus pandemic. Here's the good news. There will be absolutely no fear-mongering COVID-19 talk here today. I hope you're staying healthy and safe, and I'm here to give you a little escape from the chaos by talking Mopars with you. Together, we'll try to get our minds off of all this craziness of 2020 and talk about what I believe to be the greatest year in Mopar history, 1968. The year that Dodge introduced the scat pack to an entire generation of horsepower junkies and changed the world of Mopar forever. There are just certain aspects of Mopar history that truly made a significant impact, and the scat pack of 1968 is one of those things. But before we get started with Project Car of the Week, rev up the show with high-performance parts, get moving with listener stories, and shut down the show with high-performance heritage, there are two things you need to know. Number one, chris at talkingmopars.com. That's my email. Number 2 28 20928mopar. That's my voicemail. Your voicemails will be shared on the show, so please keep them appropriate and so will any Mopar stories that you send in for listener stories. I'll even share the emails that I think would make for fun conversation on the show. Now that we took care of that business, let's get this show on the road. This week's Project Car of the Week was the 1969 Plymouth Roadrunner posted on the Mopar Hunter page Friday, March 20th at 9 a.m. Here is the ad. 1969 Plymouth Roadrunner numbers matching bucket seats, center console, Hurst 4-speed 383 N96 package, original rims and build sheet. Runs and drives great. 25500 or best offer. Not interested in low ballers. Condition is listed as good and title status listed as clean. Located in Webster, New York. Here's the thing, folks. I like this car. It's numbers matching. It's got, you know, some desirable options. The bucket seats, center console. It's a 4-speed. It's got the N96 package and the guy's got the build sheet. He claims that it runs and drives great. Those are all good things. And for 25000 you know, I think he may be a little bit high on the price. The color of the car is kind of like a dark emerald green, which I don't believe was a factory color. And looking in the engine bay, I see that it's kind of like a flat black. So that's one thing that annoys a lot of Mopar people. For me, it doesn't bother me that much unless it's a fully restored car and then they cheaped out on the paint on the engine bay and they went black. I don't really like that. But, you know, a driver quality car, no big deal. That can always be changed later on down the road. The car's cool. It's got the factory tack, you know, obviously bucket seats, the console. Th- those are all great options. And the N96. Who, who doesn't love the air grabber hood? Come on. And it's got that Coyote Dust air cleaner lid. The car looks to be in reasonable shape. If you look at the pictures the guy posted, the car does not look like a rot box. So that's a good thing. I think that this car has really good bones. And... For twenty five thousand five hundred, I think there's a little bit of room to work there. I would like to see the price around eighteen thousand, so that's seventy five hundred off, which is a fat chunk of change, let's be honest. So, you know, around twenty two is probably realistic, twenty-three, twenty four, maybe, I don't know. But for me, I think it's a great idea to spend low to mid twenties for a running and driving car that you can enjoy. So this is definitely a car that I think would be a good car to consider if you have that kind of money to throw around at a Mopar project. Because Running and driving project cars are amazing. Why? Because you can enjoy them while you're restoring them or modifying them, whatever the case may be. So I think this is a great example of a, you know, reasonably priced project car. And it is numbers matching, which is desirable. And it's got the build sheet, so that's cool. So, you know, it does have a picture of the fender tag here. And the fender tag looks rotted. So hopefully, you know, with the information on the build sheet and the original fender tag, maybe you can get a repop fender tag made and enjoy the cars you restore it. He's got some pictures of the underside. The underside looks pretty clean. Doesn't look like there's any cancer. Even the trunk pan looks really good. So I think this is a solid car to start with, especially if you don't want to invest, you know, $90,000 on a restoration. This has really good bones. And it's always a good thing to start with a project that has good bones because then you're not doing a bunch of metal work on it. And you can focus on the things that really matter, getting it running and driving in tip-top condition. You know, this guy says it runs and drives great, numbers matching, you want to preserve that engine. So, like for me, if I wasn't going for a OE, you know, quality restoration, and I just wanted to drive the thing, I'd just drive the thing. You know, maybe pull the original engine out and put something else in that's fun, and maybe just start with restoring the engine, you know, if what you're looking for is an OE quality build. Start with the engine, get that restored, and then slowly work your way to the point where... Maybe it's time to tear apart the car and do the paint and body work that's necessary to get it in primo condition. I like that the seller shared the Haggerty vehicle valuation report that says $28,200, but in very tiny print it says average value. He shared that as like a selling point. That price is based on opinion, desirability, and all that stuff. He's asking $25,500. Haggerty's average value is $28,200. I still think lower twenties would be a great price for this car, but I also wouldn't have a problem paying, you know, around mid twenties for it, just because it is numbers matching. That's kind of hard to find in today's market for a reasonable price. And, you know, some people will say, you know, twenty five thousand dollars. That's not a reasonable price. I've got that kind of money. Well, then maybe you should look at something a little bit lesser than a sixty nine Roadrunner. All right, Uh, decent quality Roadrunners. And any decent quality B body that's somewhat desirable is going to fetch a lot of money in this kind of condition. And you know that's another thing. What what is a lot of money? You know, is five thousand dollars a lot of money? Because I see a lot of cars that probably are worth ten grand that people are listing for fifteen to twenty, and that potential buyers or looky loos, what have you, will say, "Oh, that's a thousand dollar car." Well, is it? Is it a thousand dollar car, dude? You know what I mean? So pricing. And the Mopar market right now is kind of iffy. You see a lot of different people that say vehicles are worth a tenth of what they're actually worth. And then you see guys that will say, you know, oh, I'd pay that for a car that's clearly not worth the amount that is being asked. So there's a butt for every seat, folks. And, you know, some people got fatter wallets than others. My wallet is Slim Pickens. It's gone on a serious diet as of late. You know, and I say, oh, yeah, I would buy that if I had the money. I don't have the money. <laughs> so, me saying that is kind of like saying, yeah, I'd, I'd buy a Charger Daytona with a Hemi if I had the money. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So, take what I say with a grain of salt. But I've seen, you know, hundreds, maybe even thousands of these cars for sale since 2015 when I really started doing a deep dive into posting all these cars and finding them and seeing the values. And you'll hear stories about guys that go and pull, you know, roadrunners out of barns. You'll see that, oh, they paid $5,000 for it and fully restored the cars worth 50000 you know, or whatever. I'm just throwing numbers out here. But that's uncommon. That doesn't happen every day. So you can't really base values of cars on prices from back in the 80s and 90s, okay? It's not the 80s and 90s anymore. We need to stop thinking like that. These cars, the numbers are dwindling. Every time a car is found in a barn, in a field, in an old garage, that's one less to be found. The market's really interesting, and it really is hard to predict, but I will say that they're never going to be as low as what the 80s and 90s were. I don't care what happens in the economy. This economy could tank six feet in the ground, and you're never going to find a charger for 500 bucks. And if you do, hey, get on the show. Let's talk about it, all right? Because I like hearing those stories too. I have buddies that have paid crazy prices for really cool B bodies and E bodies. You know, they're out there. I'm not saying that they're not out there, but the chances of you running into one for that cheap, pretty slim. And if you do, there's a lot of guys that'll triple your money right away. You know what I mean? So if you're looking for a quick investment car, let's say you find this car that I'm talking about here on Project Car of the Week, and the guy wants five grand for it. Well, I'm looking at the car and I'm saying, you know, eighteen grand would be a steal, in my opinion. You get this car for five thousand, and you could easily flip it for fifteen. That's a ten thousand dollar come up. That's ten grand right in your pocket. It is what it is. So that's project car of the week. Nineteen sixty nine Plymouth Roadrunner for twenty five five air grabber car, numbers matching three eighty three four speed. What do you want? Console. This thing's got it all. Let's try to get it for less than twenty. All right. That's project car of the week. This is High Performance Parts, the segment of the show where we highlight a Mopar from TV or movie history. And this week's High Performance Part belongs to the 1974 Plymouth Duster driven by Adam Sandler in the movie Happy Gilmore. Sandler plays an aspiring but failed hockey player named Happy Gilmore, who eventually turns his focus on golf when an old golf legend witnesses Happy Gilmore at a driving range, driving golf balls about 300 yards. He's trying to help his grandmother get her house back because she hasn't made a house payment in God knows how many years. So they're foreclosing her house. They're taking the house. They're booting her out. They're evicting her. And Happy decides to join the PGA Tour to win enough money to save his grandma's house. That's the gist of the movie. And in it, he drives a faded orange half vinyl top 74 Plymouth Duster. Not a lot's known about the car. It's pretty basic. It's got some hubcaps on it, you know, nothing special. But I thought it was an honorable mention because, hey, it's a Mopar in a movie, okay? That's what High Performance Parts is all about, no matter how long or how short. So that's it. This week's High Performance Part belongs to the 1974 Plymouth Duster in Happy Gilmore. That was High Performance Parts. (laughs) This week's listener story was sent to my voicemail from a good buddy of mine, Johnny Mopar. So let's hear Johnny's story.
1: Hey, Chris. What's going on, man? This is uh, Johnny Mopar. Anyway, I thought I'd give you a story about a 1968 Dodge Charger. Uh, This car I bought back when I was about 16 years old. Uh, It was about 1989. I was a junior in high school. Anyways riding the school bus um, to school one day, and I happened to be sitting on the left side of the bus looking out. I had a window seat, and I'm looking out, you know, into the distance. Anyway, over a knoll, pretty far away, I could see this roof line of a car. And uh, it had a pretty wide C pillar, so I thought, man, that could be a charger. Now, I've been up and down this road plenty of times with my parents. And from the street, low street level, you couldn't see this car. It was completely hidden by this small hill. I only saw it because I was on the school bus and I happened to be looking that particular direction. Um, anyway, so from the school bus, I couldn't even see the doors, the fender or the quarter pounds. I could only see the roof. So on the way to school and all day at school, all I can do is think about this car. And I'm like, man, I hope it's a Charger. I thought it could be a Chevelle, early Chevelle. Um, but, you know, I'm just praying that it's a freaking charger. So longest day ever get home from school. Finally, you know, I'm getting off the bus and I'm walking home with a purpose, you know, which was shit. We probably, I think it was about at least a quarter mile walk to get to home, you know, to get home, jump on a dirt bike, haul ass over to this house and, uh, Look around the side, and I see, sure enough, it's a Charger, 68. I'm like, hell yeah. I am so excited at this point. I knock on the door, and no answer. So, anyways, I go home disappointed, doing homework and all that. It's kind of late. Um, I couldn't get back out there. So, day two, get on the bus, get on the left side of the bus, get a window seat. Sure enough, see the Charger again. You know, as if it was gonna go away. (laughs) Anyways, uh get home from school that day, walk home with a purpose, get on the dirt bike, haul ass over to this house, knock on the door. This time the door opens and it's this big dude. This dude was huge. Now sixteen, so he probably wasn't this tall, but I could have swore he was like seven feet tall. This guy was a big dude and he had a mean look on his face, like who the F are you and what the F are you doing here? And so I go, Hey, um, I was wondering if you wanted to sell that car in the backyard. He invited me in. He asked how much I would give him for the car. I said, can I look at it first? And he said, sure. So we got in the backyard. Um, it's pretty beat up. The grill's knocked out of it. Front bumpers bent. Hood got folded back on it. The left rear tire is like buried in the ground. And I'm like, man, it's pretty rough. And he goes, yeah, it's my brother-in-law's car. About five years ago, he got into trouble and he had to leave town. Um, He said he drank a lot and uh he hit mailboxes, fences, drove the car into a ditch. So sounds like he did a lot of drinking and driving. Um I assume he had a warrant probably up for his arrest, which is why he had to get out of town. Anyway, this was like five years before I was knocking on the door, so... Obviously the guy never came back for his car or to pay them back for the plane ticket. Um, so anyways, I go, well, would you take 50 bucks for it? And he goes, make it a hundred. And I said, all right, cool. So I haul ass home, tell my dad, dad, I need to borrow a hundred bucks. He's like, why? And I'm like, I just bought a charger for a hundred bucks. And he goes, what? Oh, I'm going to go look at it first. And I go, dad. I don't care what you say, I'm buying this car no matter what. So I said, I'll work it off. I'll do whatever, you know, around the yard. So he gives me the hundred bucks. Um, that weekend, I borrowed my dad's van, um, ran a, a car dolly, and had my buddy come and help me. The freaking dirt, because this was summertime, and the dirt was like concrete where the wheel was buried into the ground. So we had a hell of a time digging this thing out. And then it was the wheels locked. It just wouldn't rotate at all. So we load, we put the dolly under the back of the car. My buddy jumped into the car and was steering it backwards while I was pulling it with my, my dad's Dodge van. Anyways, it was like two mile, oh, two mile drive down dirt roads and stuff. It was pretty, pretty hectic, but we made it. No problem. Um, that weekend threw a battery in it, threw some gas in it, threw gas into the car fired up and just sat there and purred like a kitten. It's like awesome. So stoked. Uh my dad helped me. We uh, took a water hose to the left rear drum and just started, you know, trying to get all the mud out of the wheel or out of the brake assembly. Um the drum was pretty rusted to the axle. We were prying on that thing like crazy. We finally got it off but we bent the drum so I had to replace it. And then uh, did a brake job on the car and uh I was pretty dumb back then. So, I decided I'm going to drive the car to school. I drive it to school. I was taking an auto body class, so we got to park in the auto body section. And uh yeah, it was pretty sketchy. I didn't know what I was doing when I did brakes on it and the uh the the shoes were basically running on rubbing on the uh drums overheating. I got brake fade. I had smoke coming from the wheels, you know. Um, and it stunk to high heaven, but I made it to school barely. And then, uh, about second period or so I'm walking and just so happened to see my dad's van rolling around the school. And I'm like, what the fuck? So, oh, sorry. Sorry for the F-bomb there. Uh, so anyways, he gets to my car, he's throwing a chain underneath it to drag it home. I come over there and boy, was he pissed. Anyway, I skipped the rest of the school and, and, uh, he towed me home and, uh, yeah, he ripped me a new one. So I had to fix the brakes. I had to get insurance. I had to register the car. Uh, registration wasn't required. I'm sorry. Insurance wasn't required back in those days. And anyway, I took care of all that stuff and then I drove the car for a while, um, until I, the motor leaked like a stuck pig so one day it just leaked too much oil and i didn't i wasn't paying attention and uh, uh three little 318 just gave up the ghost so anyways i still have the car to this day uh, love it and it's just waiting for its turn to get restored so hopefully someday soon all right man that's the end of the story
0: late hey johnny thanks for sending in your story wow a 68 charger found at 16 years old. And the only reason it was even found was because Johnny was paying attention while riding the bus. That's true Mopar hunting. You're looking out the window and you spot what you know is a classic car, but you don't know exactly what classic car. You have some suspicions, you know, is it a Charger? It could be an early Chevelle. But Johnny lucked out this time around and it was a 68 Charger. How awesome is that? He decides to approach the seller, which is always kind of sketchy depending on the area that you're going to and whatnot, so it's awesome that he went and approached the seller, and on the second try, the seller opens the door, invites him in, and he gets the story on the car, goes and looks at it, makes a $50 offer, and the seller takes 100 bucks. Now, Johnny, in today's world, that would be considered a lowball, but hey, what do I say? Better to have a low ball than no balls. Turns out the car wasn't even the sellers. It was the brother of the seller who, you know, was on the lam (laughs) for whatever reason. You know, sounds like, you know, he liked to uh, sit back on grandpa's old cough medicine, you know what I'm saying? And get a little reckless behind the wheel. So that's pretty funny, but obviously not safe at all. But hey, if he didn't do that, you probably wouldn't have that charger for a hundred bucks. So, you know, at least hopefully no one was hurt. I like that When the guy said he'd take a hundred bucks, you went home and told your dad, look, I'm getting this car no matter what you say, you know, but hey, hook it up with some money pops. (laughs) I thought that was awesome, Johnny. Very cool that you got the car running immediately. And it's really funny because I probably would have done the same thing. I would have drove it to school too, illegally. Screw safety. You know what I mean? I thought it was pretty funny that you botched the brake job and drove it to school anyway. But you know, hey, you got to learn one way or another. So you learn something. That's good. You still have the car. That is the most important part of this whole thing. There's so many people out there. And Johnny, I know that you have cars that you wish you'd never gotten rid of. And actually, speaking of, I'm bringing Johnny onto the show because he's got a story about a car, another Charger, coincidentally, that ended up making some waves in the car enthusiast community. But we'll get to that on another show. Let's just say that his car is now infamous, even though it's not in his hands. Anyways, it's awesome that you still have your car don't sell it. (laughs) I don't even think I have to say that at this point, Johnny. I don't think you'll ever sell that car. I think it's awesome that you still got it. And I can't wait to see what you do with that Charger. You're one of the few people that can say they still have their first Mopar. I'm pretty sure this is your first Mopar. Correct me if I'm wrong, Johnny, but a 68 Charger is your first Mopar and you paid a hundred bucks for it. That's a win. my book so johnny thank you for sending in your story a 68 charger for 100 bucks that's a win in my book especially at 16. i don't even know what i would do at 16 if i had a 68 charger my life would be completely different right now i'll tell you that (laughs) but awesome story johnny i can't wait to get you on the show we're going to talk mopars it's going to be a blast but thank you for sending in your story and ladies and gentlemen that's how you send in a story now i'll tell you right now that johnny had to leave three voicemails because we learned that the voicemail only allows you to record for three minutes. So, Johnny had three different calls, three different messages, and I was able to splice it together so it sounded good. And, you know, Johnny's a great storyteller. I love the stories. So, if you want to send in your story, if you call 209 mopar and you leave me a voice message, just know that you have three minutes. But if you go longer, you're going to get cut off. That's okay. You can call back And continue the story and I will splice it together. So it doesn't matter how many times you call. You know, if you have if you want to leave 10 messages and we'll get a half an hour of story on there, that's fine, we'll figure it out. So Johnny, congratulations. You're the second person to leave a voicemail. And I love stories like this. I always think the stories are better coming from you guys. Now don't get me wrong, I love telling the stories, but there's just something more authentic when it comes from you. So I encourage all of you out there that are thinking about emailing me your stories. Leave me a message instead. Get yourself heard on the show. It's a lot funner that way for everybody involved. So take that into consideration if you want to tell your story. And one more thing you'll also notice that Johnny was the first person to let an F bomb slip on the show. That's okay. I can edit that. So feel free to speak free. Just do me a favor and try not to curse because this is a family show. I know there's some kids listening. And You know, we want to set a good example for the young ones, okay? That was Listener Stories. In 1968, Dodge released what I believe to be the most monumental group of cars in Mopar history, the Scat Pack. Now, I could sit here and talk about the Scat Pack and all the cars involved in that first year. But if you know me, you'll know that I'm a big fan of old school automobilia or memorabilia. And one of my favorite things is old muscle car advertising. And I think Mopar did it better than any other manufacturer on planet Earth. I love their advertising so much that I actually buy old car magazines and pull the ads out just to frame them and put them on my wall. Yes, I do sell some that I have doubles of or that are, you know, Chevy or Fords because who wants those on their wall? Not me. But I do collect them and I have quite a big collection. I'll have to post some pictures of my office. I think you guys will dig it. I have a lot of old vintage ads on my walls. And I thought it would be fun for this edition of High Performance Heritage to go over one of the brochures for the new Scat Pack. So that's what I'm going to do this week. I'm actually going to read directly from an old advertisement and I don't think anybody said it better than Mopar or their ad agency, whoever they used. There's a lot of information that you can find in a book from Cartech Books called Dodge Scat Pack and Plymouth Rapid Transit System, Chrysler's Muscle Car Marketing Programs, 1968 to 1972. It's a great book. You can get it at cartechbooks.com. Those are my buddies. So check that book out. It is actually my favorite book out of all the Mopar books I have. I love this book. And... Mostly because there is so much information about the marketing programs that Chrysler used. And like I said, I think that they did it better than anybody. So today, we're going to go over an in-magazine brochure for the 1968 Scat Pack. Now, I will say that one car is missing, but we'll go over that at the end. So let's get in to the brochure. Three ways to catch Dodge fever. Charger RT, Coronet RT, Dart GTS. Run with the Dodge Scat Pack, the cars with the Bumblebee Stripes. Charger RT, the clean machine. You're the driving expert. If you're a pro, drive like one. Safely. There are cars you buy because of one look. A piece of sculpture. Shaped like a Mach 2 jet on wheels. And from the long, low-hung, clean snout rolling inquisitively along the ground to the impertinent flip of the spoiler on the rear deck, you wouldn't change a line of it if you could. There are cars you buy because of a throaty rumble deep down inside that makes you vaguely uneasy to be standing still. There are cars you buy because the suspension treats an angled grade crossing in the rain with studied insolence. Because the four-speed box changes cogs with the precision of a sharp axe striking soft pine. And because just sitting in it, you know it's right, and just the way you want it. And if you don't get it, you'll hate yourself every time you think about it. Charger RT is such a car. People who don't understand cars might say, it's kind of cute. Cute? With a 440 Magnum as standard equipment, it is your duty to make sure they are all sold before that kind of person gets his hands on one. To help you, we've kept the price nice and low. Ground rules. You can't corner in midair. But then that's what the special springs, shocks, sway bar, and oversized anchors are for. To keep you grounded when you need it most. They're all standard. Hope we haven't spoiled the fun for the do-it-yourself crew. Front discs, optional. Seat yourself. It's your choice. Standard front seats on RT are deep, snug, foam-padded, vinyl-trimmed buckets, and for a modest extra cost we will go you one better, with a cushion plus fold-down armrest between the buckets if you like extra company up front. Still another option is a center console you can have with either the 3-speed automatic or 4-speed manual transmission and console-mounted selector. Now, what's your choice? Store in the door. A pocket located on each door where, amazingly enough, you can reach it. Great place for the genuine Italian shades and a tour guide. Stripe for action. Here's a kind of cocky way to show your colors. Wrapped boldly around the tail like a bumblebee. The problem is that it tells everybody just what you're pushing. If that bothers you, order yours with no stripes at all. Chargers Dash has plenty of it. In an era where dashes start looking like soda fountains, welcome news. Matte black, with numbers yet, and readably round dials, and an optional tack also round, readable, and mounted on the dash with clock in the center. One look, and you've got Dodge Fever. Coronet RT, the time machine. Save the competition for the track. Be a friendly driver. Coronet RT, the great looking, beautifully balanced example of just how easy it is to own the whole show. Beautifully balanced in the engine room with a four hundred forty cubic inch Magnum V eight and a torque flight automatic no less. Superbly balanced at the corners with a special handling package that includes an extra leaf in the right rear spring to help put all the torque where it belongs and keep it there wide tread tires, and bumblebee stripes too. And all of these come standard. What's optional on Coronet RT? Well, among other things, a slick and rugged four-speed manual box. And Dodge's deservedly renowned 426 cubic inch Hemi V8. The fact that Coronet RT is also easy on the eyes, strong as a rock, comes in two-door hardtop and convertible versions, and is priced in a very encouraging manner shouldn't hold you back either. With Coronet RT, everything will stay beautifully in balance, including your budget. Decisions, decisions. Whether to have the bold bumblebee stripe encircling the rear deck, the elegant fine lines running down the flank, or perhaps no stripe at all. They are all free. The choice is yours. Gentlemen, be seated. This interior is standard on Coronet RT. The console and head restraints are optional, but the deep foam padding, the carpets on the floor, and that easy-to-keep-great-looking set of buckets are included in every one. Yes, you can. Order that nifty Rally Dash for your Coronet RT. Complete with readable round dials, matte black finish, white numbers, and even the full-size tack and clock. We've got you cornered. What makes it happen? Plenty. Heavy-duty shocks, springs, a sway bar Charles Atlas couldn't bend, and to keep your rubber on the road, an extra leaf in the right rear to control the torque. Also, heavy-duty brakes with drums as big as buckets. Front discs are optional for those in a hurry to go nowhere. No wonder you've got Dodge Fever. Dart GTS Sport. The Scat Pack Compact. Drive safely. It's contagious. There was a time when all the great American cars were either as big as a house or strictly two-up. No more. GTS is a new breed. Different in the way it feels, looks, handles. It doesn't take much thinking to cram the biggest mill available into the smallest car you make. What you end up with is a nose-heavy stone that won't corner if you bribe it. That's why GTS offers the first new small V8 in a decade. If you call a 340-cube, 4-barrel small. What you get is a car that puts the traction where it counts and that changes direction like the tip of a whip. It doesn't take a mint to afford it or a mechanic to keep it running. What you also get are more than enough room for two couples on the town. A look inside and out makes you feel like the last of the big spenders. Stripes, wide treads, and a new air scoop hood design. Dart GTS. Proof that a great bundle of action doesn't cost a bundle anymore. Quit dreaming. Start driving. Stop in at your Dodge dealers and tool around the block once or twice. It will make a believer out of you. Get a grip for yourself. This one comes equipped with wide treads, with competent springs, shocks, and a sway bar to match. It's called the rally suspension. If you forget how to spell it, don't worry. You can't buy a GTS without it. Any way you want it. Some people think this car looks best without any stripes at all. Others prefer the bold bumblebee variety or rally stripe down the side. Who are we to tell you what to do? Any one of the three. Your choice. Here's the scoop. Now that you know what the new AirScoop hood design looks like, you ought to try what's hidden inside. Either the new 340 cubic inch V8 or the optional 383 four-barrel. The looks may be only skin deep, but that GTS brand of action goes clear through. Great in the stretch. The bucket seats are standard. The head restraints and console optional. The nicest standard thing about the accommodations, however, is the extra room they're in. Carpets and foam padding on the seats are standard, naturally. Savings and spice, that's what GTS is made of. Nice, the way GTS gives you the things you want most without shredding the old bankroll leaves you with enough left over to live a little. So why don't you? Your Dodge dealer is the man to see. Congratulations, you've got Dodge fever. Here's what makes the Scat Pack run: 426 Hemi dual four-barrel V8, 425 horsepower at 5,000 rpm, 490 pound-feet of torque at 4,000 rpm, compression ratio 10 and a quarter, recommended fuel premium, exhaust type dual optional for Charger RT, Coronet RT, 440 Magnum 4-barrel V8, 375 horsepower at 4,600 RPM, 480 pound-feet of torque at 3,200 RPM, compression ratio 10.1, recommended fuel premium, exhaust type dual, standard for Charger RT, Coronet RT, 340 4-barrel V8, 275 horsepower at 5,000 RPM, 340 pound-feet of torque at 3,200 RPM. Compression ratio, 10.5. Recommended fuel, premium. Exhaust type, dual. Standard for Dart GTS Sport. There you go, folks. That was the brochure that I got in one of my old magazines. It was really cool. It was a pleasant surprise. And it's now part of my collection. But here is the thing. There was one late addition to the Scat Pack lineup in 1968 and that was the 1968 Dodge Super B. Standard with a 383 Magnum V8 and a 4-speed manual transmission, with an optional 426 Hemi. I do have one 1968 Super B ad that I'm going to read, just so that we cover all the 1968 Scat Pack cars. So here it goes. Announcing. Coronet Super B, Scat Pack performance at a new low price. Beware the hot-cammed 4-barreled 383mm in the light coupe body. Beware the muscled hood, the snick of close-coupled four-speed, the sure-footedness of red lines, rally-rated springs and shocks, sway bar and competent 11-inch drums. Beware the Super B. Proof you can't tell a runner by the size of his bankroll. And there you have it, folks. The 1968 Dodge Scat Pack. All very cool cars. If you asked me to pick a favorite, I don't even know if I could. I really like the 68 Chargers. I love the darts, obviously, because I have one myself, and the Coronets are amazing, and the Super Bs are amazing. So it would be hard for me to pick one, but if I had to. 68 Chargers used to be my favorite Mopars, and I just really loved the taillights and the front end. I love the nose on those things. But as time goes on, I'm still a B-body fan. I own an A-body and an old truck, but I'm a B-body fan. And I really like Superbees. Over the past few years, my love of Superbees has just skyrocketed. So I would say, give me a Hemi-powered 4-speed Superbee. I think I'd take that one. But that does it for this edition of High Performance Heritage. Now that you know a little bit about the SCAT Pack, we still got more to cover. We'll get into the rapid transit system. So look forward to that in upcoming episodes. And that does it for this edition of High Performance Heritage the 1968 Dodge Scat Pack. That does it for us here this week. Thank you so much for joining me. Before I go, I just want to mention one thing. I may have produced some misinformation in regards to the Tommy Boy GTX and the Joe Dirt GTX. Now, I need to do some more research, but an article came out in... Mopar Collector's Guide. That's one of my favorite magazines. And their latest issue has an article about the Tommy Boy GTX, which apparently was found. Now, I haven't read the article yet. I'm going to do some more research. I'm going to read the article, and I'm going to get the facts straight for the Tommy Boy GTX and the Joe Dirt GTX. So stay tuned for that. And that does it for us here on Talking Mopars. For more information about this show, please visit TalkingMopars.com. You can find everything you need to know about the show on the website. You can find places to listen. You can actually listen to the show. You can get in contact with me. All that good stuff. Also, my email. You know, if you don't want to go to the website, just remember chris at talkingmopars.com or my voicemail, 20928mopar. Leave me a voicemail. Send me an email. Either one works for me. If you want to tell your story, you can do it either way. So reach out to me and be a part of the show. All right? Until we talk again, my name is Chris Albrecht, and that was Talking Mopars. Thank you for listening to Talking Mopars, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Until next time, remember,
1: no Mopar left behind.